are now listening to the words of an urban beatnik. I am your host, Ishmu. We're going to have a great show today, so stay tuned. Today we are going to talk about mental health. Now this wasn't originally what I wanted to talk about, but it was something that I needed to do before I did the next one. And so I guess we're just going to get started. Um, I do want to say it's going to go into um, emotions and then we're going to talk about um, the different kinds of emotions and then I want to get into current media. And the things that have happened this um, past week or last week and what's still being talked about in the media. So without further ado, let's get started. Okay, so when I think about mental health, I think about wellness check. Now this isn't the overall concept of mental health, but it's definitely a part of it. Um, when I Again, when I think about mental health, I think about how we reflect um, and how we move forward. And so to me, there are like six or seven things that come to mind to me that are very important and, and things that you kind of have to sit back and analyze. Um, so there's past memories, there's modern experiences, there's emotions, there's traumas, there's future there's gold and then there's spirituality if you are that type of person um so when i think about past memories you know this can go either way it could be good or bad a lot of times we experience things and our brain records those experiences so it's you know it'll record something good like something you ate that's good, a, a ice cream flavor that you love, it can record the first time you taste that, that, that delicious new flavor. Or it can record a bad memory like the day someone broke up with you. And the brain holds and filters this. And it puts it, it sits it and it sections it right into your brain. And so when you reminisce, you reminisce on these times. So these are things, these are things and memories that really never leave you, but sometimes are are suppressed. And something that's also suppressed are traumas. Um, this is also when the brain records something. So it's kind of to me, a trauma is like a bad movie. It, it plays out over and over again. And sometimes these traumas can be suppressed 
but they're just they're a movie that never gets erased and so that's also something that kind of reminds me of memory and it also with traumas it reflects also how you move forward and so when I think of modern experiences I think of you know using what the brain retains and how it navigates in situations so whatever you retain whether it's good or bad it's it's how you're going to move and get through to the next point and so which is also goes along with future you know when you think about your future experiences you think about you think about what comes next you know the outcome of what's going to happen when I also think about emotions and believe it or not there are 18 types of emotions that are good and bad and that's something when it comes to emotions I kind of want to get into later these 18 types and we're going to do something a little different with that I think will be interesting um, kind of like a self-discovery okay so moving on so there's also gold and goals are you know the information that you do attain you know how do you how do you utilize it you know and how do you utilize it to to gain things that you want gain things that you need gain things that may sustain you mentally as well and when I think of spirituality I think of know the sense of purpose direction your morals and God as your soul controller if you believe in that concept now moving on there is something in the brain called the amygdala and it's a limbic structure of the brain function so it's basically an almond shape type of structure and it's a little kind of near the pituitary gland, gland, <laughs> kind of near the pituitary gland, but maybe adjacent in some sense. And so what it does is has cortisol and adrenaline. And this is the area of fight and flight. So when you think of the medulla, you think of the hijacking. And what it does is the hijack is the emotional response that is immediate. So that's where the fight and flight comes from. So, you know, you have to, when something happens, you make a quick response without thinking about it. Ooh, my words are twisted up today. <laughs> and the response is normally overwhelming. And it also gives support from the adrenal gland. So that's where it re releases the cortisol and the adrenaline. And this is considered the stress hormone. So the prefrontal, the boss of the brain where the logic um, lives, it helps regulate the amygdala responses. It helps exercise this area through our own mind control. So this is also where we relax, we breathe and release and we find solutions. 
So you have a part of the brain that reacts and then you have a, a logic part of the brain that makes you think. And so what happens is when a situation um, requires us to think quickly, we usually thinking of the hijack motion and we respond too fast instead of thinking from the logical sense. And a lot of times that happens and we wind up doing something crazy, something regretful, something that we should have turned on the logic sensors for, but we didn't. So I wanna speak on something that happened in the media. Um, I wanna be very sensitive to this subject because this hits near where I live. And it made me think it made me think a lot about the amygdala and most importantly the amygdala hijack um, our emotional responses and it also made me think about our mental health and a wellness check and how important it is to do so check on our loved ones to really see how they're doing to really see how they have coped with things that have happened traumatically in their past. And so, let's see, what I wanted to talk about was a story that happened. Um, it was, I don't really wanna say names because I don't feel like it's necessary. Um, the names are not important. And so like I said, I wanted to be sensitive to the subject. And so I just wanna talk about the story and what happened. So I got it written down. So it says, um, there was a shooting that happened on Wednesday, 19th of February. And this took place early in the morning at a local hospital. Um, what started as a man coming up to the job of his child's mother, and I think they had three children altogether. Um, I'm not really quite sure. But he had altogether six. That's what the news is claiming. So he gets into a domestic dispute and he gets into a domestic dispute with the child of um, his child's mother. And the security guard tries to intervene and what he does next is, is kind of crucial. He takes out his gun and he shoots both of them. And he then takes off in his car. He heads up to um, a couple of a next town over, a couple of towns over, and he goes to the gravesite of his brother, and he paces back and forth, and then he takes his own life. So I want to say before we do a little breakdown of this situation, I do want to say if you're in a domestic violence situation, please get help and never think that a domestic situation will solve itself without help you do need intervention and it's unfortunate that the security guard you know who did intervention who was taught to intervene in a situation he had his life taken from him and so sometimes things like that could be prevented if it's if some kind of intervention comes into play at the start but that's not the that's not just the crucial part the crucial part is 
the actual breakdown. So when you're in an altercation, altercations like fighting or verbal abuse in your relationship, though the trauma, the trauma that I talked about, which is like the bad movie, that is a memory that plays inside that mind subconsciously. You like you don't even think about it, you don't even see it, but it's playing. So somewhere along the lines, there was a certain trauma that was just like the altercation that was happening that the memory bank remembered. And what it does is it now starts to put the uh, amygdala, <laughs> amygdala, uh, amygdala and hijacking mode. So remember I said that the traumas, or maybe I didn't say it, but the traumas can connect to your modern experiences. And like I said, the trauma can also navigate it. So when that situation was happening, the amygdala kicked in. Now remember, and I said the hijacking, the hijack is when your mind is telling you you're the victim and I have to protect you. I have to protect you by telling you what you should do next. Now I know this is cynical and everything, but this is really how your emotions and your mind connect and how they come into play and how they defend you. That's the fight or flight. So when the hijacking process starts, it kicks in the cortisol and the adrenal and it tells you, okay, now you have to defend yourself. So I guess he had, he felt like he had control of the altercation, but then when the intervention, the security guard came in, the brain told him, okay, you're in trouble. You better defend yourself. So he technically became the victim. And so what the brain told him to do next is, ah, remember the gun we had earlier? Use that to defend yourself. And so that's the crucial part that made him make a decision. So unfortunately, when the hijacking process happens, our logic is trying to process it. The logic part of the brain is trying to figure out, whoa, what's going, wait, you probably shouldn't have done that. That's where your conscious comes in. So you know how you have the little angel on one side and then the little devil? That's what they're talking about. You have the devil telling you, you better do something quick because you're the victim now. And then the the angel is saying, well, wait, hold on. Let me, let me, let me figure out for you what to do. But the sad part is the logic part can't do that on time. It doesn't respond on time. But what the logic does is once the situation feels like it's solved then it kicks in and says oh no what do we do oh my gosh okay okay this just happened okay I gotta think what do I uh, get in the car okay I'm gonna get in the car you get in the car and you go where do I go how do I figure this out well, remember, your brother always helped you at a time. Just go where your brother is. But we come to find out that the brother's deceased. 
So, but he would go at the last place he would be. And I think at that point, the pacing is the brain talking to the hijack asking, why did you do that? Why did you make this decision? Now I have to figure out what to do, but I don't know what to do. You put us in a situation, so that's, that's both of them fighting. When you're pacing and you're trying to figure out how to get yourself out of something that you decided too quickly on, that's what the brain is doing inside. And so the only decision that the logic can come with to get out of it was to end it. And it, it's wow. And when you think of that mental, when you think of that mental breakdown, when you think of that scenario and you analyze it, we we really don't know that our brain is doing that. That our brain is so technical and so so smart, but so reactionary that we don't know how. I never knew my brain could do that. And I think it's important that we figure this out and we sharpen up the logic tool so hopefully logic steps in before the hijacking begins. Because if the logic, see this is the thing, if the logic doesn't think fast enough, the hijacking starts. And so that's where you see a lot of people getting into situations. Now, this doesn't go for anything that's planned. You have murders and scenarios that are planned where they map out everything and, and they get very strategic on how they're going to do it. Whether they come out alive or not, it's, it's strategized and it's planned. Oh, that's the logic doing it. Anything that goes wrong with the plan is when the amygdala will kick in and say, hold on. The, the hijacking, I mean. So I think that's a fortunate situation. And please keep this family in their prayers if you know what I'm talking about. Even if you don't know who I'm talking about, just because, just on the basis of the scenario, keep that family in their prayers. And so I do want to move on. Now, introducing the 18 emotions I mentioned that before. Um, you know what? Thinking about it, I, I didn't realize how many emotions that were actually there that we experienced. And so let me just read them through. So you have anger. You have contempt. You have enthusiasm, you have envy, you have fear, frustration, joy, pride, surprise, disappointment, embarrassment, disgust, happiness, hate, jealousy, love, pride, and sadness. Those are a lot. And so what I want to do is before I go through all these emotions and what they really are, because 
there are probably some of these that you guys are like, uh-huh, what? I've never heard of that. Or I never felt that. It's fine. You could have possibly felt these emotions, but you know, you never knew maybe it was a word for it. You never really knew that, oh, okay, so that's what that meant. And so this is the thing I do want to kind of say for Facebook. And I want to kind of say for... Uh, I want to kind of say for my email and I want you guys to connect that way with me and what I would like to do is an exercise so we can try to learn how to express these things and put and put them into words to where we can trigger our memory banks or our memory you know sensors and attach them to these words and just reminisce and think back on when was the first time you felt these feelings so i'm gonna post um each word on facebook and i want you guys to just grab onto a word that brings back a certain memory um i was thinking though i'm not sure if i can should do it one at a time and people just respond like that or just put all 18 up and you guys can just go for the go on which one you feel like you do it but i think if i do all 18 people are going to only participate on the positive and not the negative and that's not what i really want to happen so i might just do it one by one because i want to know the first time when someone felt anger I want to know the first time somebody felt contempt for someone. I want to know when someone showed enthusiasm or was enthusiastic about something. And you know, so on and so on. So I think, yeah, I think I'm going to go with the one by one. And I hope you guys do participate. Please make me happy and participate. I'd appreciate it. But okay. So maybe I want to start with anger since it's the first one. And I think this is something that we can we can speak on because there's a lot of things going on that bring that brings out the anger in us. Um again, if no one knows what anger is, it's a strong feeling or displeasure and usually of something that you have a disposition on, an opposition on. So I think the first time um, I felt anger was dating an abusive guy in my teens. Um, he wasn't family approved. Okay, so my dad, or if you guys ever know, my dad was so super strict on me. So me dating at a certain age was not okay with him. And if he didn't meet him and he didn't approve of him, it just was not okay. And so the other downside about it is when you are a cop daughter, <laughs> you date someone that he potentially locks up. So the guy that I was dating was selling drugs. And... I knew about this um i guess i didn't think major of it because it was marijuana well at least that's what i knew at that time but i was in my teens i won't say how old i was but i was in my teens and 
the incident happened to where I refused to help him with I guess bagging the stuff and I guess he was on a deadline he had a few calls and they were hurry up and coming and he wanted me to help out and I just was not in the mood I just got there and I was looking forward to seeing him and his mood was off and then my mood became off and then I was resentful and I said no when he needed my help and what's crucial is what happens next. So because I refused, he grabbed me by the neck and he threw me against the wall and as we were fighting, he punched me. Like dead right in the face, he punched me right in the face. And so, as I fell down crying, you know, he was upset. He was angry at me for refusing to help him. But he was careless at the fact that he punched me. And he accused me of causing this. So, I grabbed my stuff. I left, but when I was grabbing my stuff, I grabbed something extra that I didn't, I didn't realize it. But when I got out and I was grabbing my stuff and putting it in my book bag, it wasn't mine. It was like a shirt, a shirt that I know I was very big chested. I could not get into that thing if I wanted to. So it was a female shirt and it wasn't mine and to my knowledge I was the only one he was dating sorry audacity cut off on me again so okay so I found out that it wasn't mine and he was calling me I was trying to avoid him because I've never 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 tolerated anybody putting their hands on me i don't care how much you love me you cannot put your hands on me so my next logical thing to do was ignore him and of course he was calling he was asking for the shirt back and that's how i definitely found out that he was sleeping around and he didn't take me seriously and you know that made me angry i always felt like I had some self-confidence to where, yes, I'm worth something. And to not only that be reduced to that, you put your hands on me, you fought with me, you abused me, and to put the cherry on the top, you're we're being with someone else anyway behind my back. So I, that's something that ne will never leave my mind. And that's something that always stains a person's mind. So, you know, from the victim to the abuser, just know that you set the tone of what um, reflects in the future for that person. You know, I, I think now learning from that lesson, I'm very iffy on someone who's very possessive. I'm very iffy on someone who raises their voice at me 
I'm very iffy on someone who tries to control me and tell me what to do. I'm very iffy on someone that just doesn't let me be free. I mean, yes, I'm a free spirit, but if I feel like you're smothering me to the point where I can't breathe or you feel like you have to take control over me to where you tell me what to do, it's something that's not gonna work. And I think that may have placed something in my mind and something in my memory, memory bank <laughs> to now navigate me for my future. I am going to be 40 and I have no, I don't know. I don't really have an interest on, you know, getting married or you being in relationships, especially in the magnitude where they feel like they can control you. It, that's just, it's not my thing. I think any relationship that I would want, I would have to have either control over or just a 50-50 of, you know, navigation in that relationship in order for it to work with me. Um, I have to have a sense of freedom, a sense of openness, a sense of honesty. But this is, well, uh, this is besides the point. So I did want to share that with you. Um, I also have other things that that made me angry. I remember when I was living in New York and I was living there. I was living in between New York and Jersey. And I'm a very nomadic person, so I like to move around a lot. I don't think there's just one place I want to be. I love moving around. Um, if I can just travel every single day, all day, I swear I would. But the part that made me angry was when I was in the city and I had just gotten paid and I just left my job and I was leaving from Jersey to come to New York. And I remember going to the ATM and getting money out there, out of there and not realizing that someone was watching me. And I'm walking and I must have walked into an area where there was less than none people and this guy came off like he was trying to talk to me and you know I'm in the same process fixing my stuff to get in the um to get it inside my pocketbook and before I know it there is a knife pointed at me and he told me take out what I just put in and I didn't realize he was watching me. So he was like, before I can fix the word saying, what are you talking about? He told me, don't act stupid. And I'm not going to get hurt. Just give it to him. I had to give it up. And I didn't make much at the time. So I had bills. I had responsibilities. And that was my money going into this man's pocket and that was it there was nothing I I couldn't get it back and I think when this happened just like when I got abused 
the first time my first time getting abused I blame myself I blame myself from being caught off guard like that I felt the shame and even though it wasn't my fault you still feel shame because you let it happen that's how you know those situations happen and you know whenever something like that happens just be aware and just look for signs and just make sure that you are strong and you're confident enough to get out of anything abusive and you know take extra precautions when you are going to certain ATMs um, had I known had my logic kicked in my logic center kicked in I probably would have not taken so much out I probably would have went somewhere else these are the things that you know in my mind I reflected on once that situation happened because there was just nothing I can do but think about what will happen the next time but of course it wasn't the last time because then the next time was at gunpoint and you know what at that point I was glad I just made it out of both of them and I'm here to talk to you guys today so just you know you be safe so I wanted to switch it up a little bit I wanted to talk about DL Mint now, I was on one of those panels that I said I like to frequent at. And of course, the person that was holding the conversation or hosting the conversation, um, that person talked about their disdain for homosexuals. And they talked about their disdain for, you know, bisexual men and and how DL men is basically the same thing as, you know, being a homosexual. And I froze. I was like, Shraggy? <laughs> so I typed in the chat, no. Um, DL men and someone who is out are two completely different worlds. And so I guess I disappointed everybody in the chat. They was like, come on, don't do that. And I'm like, I'm not trying to do anything but be honest. Like, it's true. DL men are men who want to be seen as heterosexual men, but like to have sex with men. And they're saying, and, they, and the person responded, one of the people responded saying, yeah, that person is bisexual or they gay and I said uh well no and they said well it's all the same thing um, uh, no labels are specific and I think I said that before where the reason why there are so many different labels is because there is a specific um there's a specific you know idea behind them they define you a little bit more than just some broad um, stroke of a brush. Right? So, even though it may seem the same, 
it may have some likeness I will say between the homosexual lifestyle and the DL lifestyle there is some likeness because there is some same-sex situation going on but it is a different world they're two different worlds at the same time and let me explain a little bit more on what I'm saying what these men they identify themselves as heterosexual men who are gay identify themselves as gay so you have one that's open one closet door is open one is closed and see even though people go through the process of DL and not quite coming out the closet yet but still enjoying in that experience or, or you know finding themselves curious curi uh, curious about that situation it's still two different two different ways of living so DL men like I said they they are hetero they identify as heterosexual men but in they live the heterosexual lifestyle they get married they have kids the world sees them and knows them as heterosexual men but they have sex on the low with other men and for the most part it's for it's with you know other down low men and the reason for that is to keep it a secret now that only just not it doesn't just happen that way it they also try they also have sex with gay men and see the difference with down low men you won't really catch them in gay spaces because they don't want to be identified as gay so you won't see them at the gay club you'll see them in regular hetero settings you'll see them living their existence living their life you won't even know a lot of times these are the extra masculine men that yeah they will say vitriol stuff they will do anything to make sure you don't identify them as gay and here's the reason why they don't want to lose the masculinity i think i mentioned before they equate their masculinity with being straight and they equate being um, infeminine with being gay and so again this panel was not trying to hear me but it was a hetero space so I understood you know a lot of times when people are um, heterosexual they want to only have a limited understanding about homosexuality and the different preferences that come along with that um, they tend to want to paint all of us under one brush when we, like I said, have different preferences. You know, some may like this, some may not like that. Some are into this, some are into that. I, again, that's why I mentioned all the different names to explain who likes what and what likes who. And th that's important. Um, in this panel too, they also said that if you're most likely to <laughs> date interracially you are most likely to be a homosexual 
Okay, before I go any further, can y'all please stop doing that? I get annoyed. Like it now it's 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 annoying to hear how and this normally comes with with women and men do it to other men too but it gets annoying that when a man has a certain perspective of his experiences and the staining of course that that came with his own traumas i can't stand when they get painted with a hetero brush as being a homosexual because he's not fitting in the into the the straight narrative the criteria I cannot stand when straight people call other straight people gay why are you doing that that's not true again it cut off on me guys sorry okay so like I was saying it's annoying this is why you create DL men when you do that. They don't get to have that opportunity to come out the closet because they are ashamed to stay in it. They want to normalize their lives so badly that they will do anything, even join in the vitriol that is normally spit they will do anything to be attached to having a normal life, being normal and being accepted. And what I want to do, oh, also before I get into something else, I also want to say that um, DL men have no problem having sex with their wives and their girlfriends. They have no problem. So this is, you can't call them gay either. And this person that had the that was hosting the conversation, she said there's no such thing as bisexual men. There's gay men and gay men only. You're either gay or you're straight. And I'm just wow. And it, it, she's not the only person that thinks like this, but it, it's just wow. That's not true, people. Men can be bisexual. They can be attracted to women and they can be attracted to men. Are there gay men who are specifically attracted to other men? Yes. But there are people that have different kinds of attractions. What, like, what's so hard to understand if you're trying to? You don't get to determine what someone is to your lack of understanding that makes no sense if they understand who they are you don't get to come with your lack of understanding and tell them who they are that don't make sense and it never does you can if anything come with the mentality of understanding but you cannot determine what somebody is and you don't have enough education yourself to even know what it is but, um, I, I digress. So, the fact that 
there are mostly known as DL men. Then you know there's also DL women. There are down low women, believe it or not. And although a lot of times DL women are very uncommon, they don't tend to stay in the DL lane for long. At some point, that strong connection, that bond that they start to develop on that same sex spectrum gets stronger or one side defeats the other and they tend to make a decision. So it, usually it doesn't really last for long. It's very much rare cases, but men do have a tendency to, to you know, let this live longer than it should. And for most men, it is an introduction to the next step. It is their wayward to the next step. But for a majority of men that want to keep their masculinity, they it's not a step that they're willing to take to that next level of coming out. Now, in the cases of noticing that women that are on the deal, Women on the DL, what they normally do is you will see them hanging around other lesbians in circles of lesbians, clubs, and things like that. But they will identify, they will be identified as, they will identify themselves as heterosexual, but they will secretly flirt or secretly come on to someone that is a lesbian and it's usually maybe a couple of times and then they go back to just being with their husband or boyfriends and then that's it just kind of killing curiosity and then if anything if they're unhappy in their relationship it's also a segue into basically leaving that man or that you know that husband or that man that they're with and going to be in relationship with a woman and, and trying that out and seeing how that is. And normally, a lot of times, this doesn't really come with much judgment, much harsh judgment, as it does with men. And see, the difference with men, men don't, these DL men don't hang around um, gay spaces. They don't, they hang around other DL men. You know, it's usually, they usually get pawned off as a friend or a cousin or a close associate that a lot of times they spend time with that eventually develops that bond and then you know what happens. They don't, they again, they don't associate themselves in openly gay circles. So you, you could never tell. Um, what happens too is that if they don't find themselves in DL, around DL, other, uh, other DL men, guys, I'm working on it, <laughs> other DL men, what they will do is they will quietly seek out a gay male that they know. In the hopes that this gay male will respectfully be quiet 
or and keep everything under wraps. And then what they do is once they frequent with this gay male, they go back to their girlfriend and wife and kids and live their life. And it's usually ongoing. So what made me bring up this situation is I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the Jane Wainfield's, um story. Well, I guess the past last week, what happened was she was outing um, a couple of street dudes um, when she discovered them having sex with each other. Now, one of the guys that she knew she had former relations with, I guess she mentioned that he just performed oral sex on her. And um, they were trying to get to close together, but I guess it was, you know, no, no hope there. So I guess they just remained cool and she hung out with the two dudes. But what happened was after hanging out with these dudes, she left her phone. So she tried to call back with another phone and they didn't answer. So she went back to the house to retrieve her phone. And she, she said she knocked on the door, she rang the doorbell, something like that, and still no answer. But she noticed that the door was still unlocked. So she opened the door and she went to grab for her cell phone. And she just happened to look up and she saw the two guys having sex. And I guess in shock and belief, you know, they cursed her out. They were both exchange. Everybody was exchanging words. And she start, you know, she started to get nervous because they were inch close to her. And she ran to her um, car. She ran to her car. And before pulling off, she told them, if you want me to keep this quiet, you need to pay me $5,000. And they were trying to get her to come back. And she was like, no, I'm not coming back. She was scared for her life. And so she went back to her place of business and I guess they didn't um, respond back to her about paying her off and she went on Facebook and she started to tell the story about what happened and she didn't reveal names at first but she basically just told the story of what happened and she was saying that, you know, she's scared for her life, but she still wants to get paid. And so I guess after trying to get them to pay her and, uh, and them refusing, she puts up one of the pictures of, she posted one of the pictures of this guy that she was talking about. And I think that took the cake right there. Because what happened, I guess her stepping out of her business and stepping out of her home and she was driving, she was assassinated. Like, she wasn't just kidding. She was assassinated. It was premeditated. She was assassinated in her car, which caused her to crash into someone else. Now, the person she crashed into, I think that person just had minor injuries, but at first they were saying that it was hard for them to tell whether the car crash killed her or the bullets that she caught killed her 
And so this was all from her outing to men. And I think this is this is the consequence. So the question is like, I think the main question was like, well, was she wrong for speaking out? And I have to honestly say, yes, she was wrong. I think because sexuality is such a sensitive thing for men and, and a hard thing for men to grasp because they're only supposed to, I guess, in the mentality of just being a regular man, they're supposed to only want females. It's it's not an easy thing to come out and say otherwise. And when you are pressured and when you feel like the masculinity that you have felt like you've developed and that everybody knows you by and identifies you by will be compromised, you panic. So I think with this situation, that amygdala hijacking took place when she looked up and they started cursing at her and 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 all that stuff was going on and then the logic took over to figure out what is our next move if we don't come up with this money she is going to tell everybody she's going to reveal who we are and these guys free i guess these guys consider themselves as relatives they told her that they were cousins and you will find with dl men that's what they would normally do they consider themselves as close to each other and that's just to to you know to put in place why they're always together the most dl men you'll find them always together working together going to the gym together um chilling at the house together they're always having conversations together they, you know you'll see them frequent together now i'm not saying <laughs> guys don't chew me out i'm not saying that every men who have this kind of bond or relationship are dl men but a lot of times this is what happens with dl men and I don't want women to make that assumption about, you know, heterosexual men either just because they hang out all the time that it's possible they may be DL men or possibly gay or however you want to think of it. I don't want you coming at the conclusion too because again, I think there should be a process to where someone has to comfortably come out and reveal themselves instead of being forced to. I was on a discussion panel and they tend to think that she did the right thing and it caused her to martyr basically calling her a martyr and I just don't think that was a thing there was one person that actually disagreed that you you know when you dealing with street people you don't you don't make decisions like that that you know that's going to cost your life and that was the same sentiment I kind of shared I mean you it's not these weren't just two regular men these were really high-ranking you know street men that were you know that did things 
that they shouldn't do that maybe had a record that maybe did time that maybe ain't scared to put in work and she made she made a judgment because of how perverse she thought it was and it cost her her life and I just don't feel like something like that is worth it I mean if any conversation were to be had it was to say look you know I don't agree with that kind of lifestyle and I think that you're doing a detriment to other females when you hide behind this certain level and I do want to say that to deal men you know it, it is some kind of a detriment when you do things like this because you don't know you know the promiscuity of those you engaged in with and you're already sharing fluids with a, a wife or a close girlfriend already and so when you make the decision and no one knows what you do on the back end you're putting everybody at risk and so i think that's just something to kind of think about and consider when you're not open and honest about the person that you are and so it brings me to another story well let me rephrase that not story um more like um the discussion panel that i was on so of course <laughs> Dwayne Ray is on everybody's radar still and I know I touched on that a couple of times but I do want to add a little something else to it now I'm still on a stance of, of saying that I don't agree with a child transitioning and I think on the last podcast I gave my reasons why so I don't want to really talk about that what I really do want to say is, I guess the mental struggle that a lot of times we don't realize is that we're all thinking and, and, and moving through this world differently. And I talk about the variety of genders and the variety of mentalities that we have as human beings altogether that we are not all one monolithic type of people. We have needs and wants. We have different ways we react to things. We have, you know, different obsessions. We have different things that make us depressed. We have all these things going on that really generally make up us. And because the story has become so big, um, everybody's wondering as far as um, Zaya's biological mom, how she feels and, and kind of pestering her and pressuring her and making her feel the wrath of everybody's public um, displeasure of, of Dwayne Ray, uh, Dwayne's Wade and Gabrielle's decision. And it, it's, you know, it's something else that they're also blaming Gabrielle Union for accepting the child for how the child wants to be identified. Now, if it's verbal identification as far as um, transitioning, 
yes I agree if there is something or some kind of acceptance to where you can identify the child as transgender and no surgery is taking place and if the child wants to identify himself as a girl fine I mean what's destined to be later it, it's setting the tone down for it anyway but so there's nothing wrong and also it's I think I think it's I don't think it's fair that we press our children or we have outside influences pressuring us to pressure our children into being something that's going against themselves mentally. Um I know with heterosexuality it's a struggle to accept this. I think in the mind of a child that's, that's finding their identity, it's a struggle when you try to pressure them as well. So now we have two struggles. And that's going to cause such a disaster. Because as an adult, you feel like you're right. You feel like you control everything. And you control the concepts of what that child's going to be. I think I had a conversation with someone of what grooming is. And I think this this thing comes to mind when I think of grooming on how as parents we try to groom our children. And when you're in the mindset of thinking you can groom somebody, it's it's unfortunate to yourself when that person doesn't express themselves the way you groom them to be. And I see that people who have, who feel like they have the more moral compass to life, I feel like they feel like their way is the best way. And when we were talking about grooming, I was talking about grooming with this person um we were talking about how grooming doesn't always work that you may come in as the person doing the grooming thinking that if i groom this person to what i want them to be they will you know leave they will leave my presence still being the same way and i think the debate between me and this person was that that's not considered grooming if the person doesn't come out to um, what you want them to be or how you groom them to be. It, it means your grooming didn't work. And I think his, his stance on it was, well, it's still grooming. It's just they chose to be another way. And then my argument was, well, if it's grooming, then, well, if, if that's considered grooming, then, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> if it's grooming, it's not considered grooming if they don't come out the way you groom them to be. And they said, yes, it's considered grooming. You can groom a person, but they're not if they cut if they choose to be something else that has nothing to do with me i did what i'm supposed to do 
but I'm saying okay well then that's not considered grooming and so we we went back and forth a while about <laughs> you know on that topic but what I basically want to say with that is that applies with sexuality too and I think that's what quickly made me think of this and I wasn't going to include this conversation in it but I think it's important um when we think we we have the job of grooming our children to become respectable um loving caring people and when they move into society they become something different we don't we don't normally blame ourselves but we blame society on taking over of um, of certain impressions on our children which is somewhat true but what people I feel like have to understand is grooming is a process that doesn't always work that yes as a parent it is your job to groom your child sometimes into the making of you if you're that type of parent but there's always a possibility that that might not work and when you're so headstrong about grooming a person that it doesn't work out you're more angered at the fact that it didn't turn out that way that you tend to blame the child for not taking it on you tend to want to outcast the child want to tell you know or or want to separate yourself from that child because your grooming didn't work you want to show your disappointment and so I feel like that was something I kind of felt at one point because I way I was groomed and the way I turned out was totally two different things and now that I look at parenting I feel like children have certain qualities and certain things that they learn and that they attach themselves to that they want to express and when you go against the grain and tell them on everything they can't do that they can't be that or why don't you try to be more like this why don't you try to be more like that You develop a, a resentment and, you know, well, no, they develop a resentment towards you. They become depressed. They become angry. They become feeling like that they don't get your approval, that they don't get your grace, your love. And so this entails, um, makes children think about taking their own life because they can't equate their own happy, happiness, oh, my words. <laughs> they can't equate their own happiness and, and put it against your displeasure and think that they're going to be okay in this world. Because 
I don't know if people realize or parents how much they realize that the bonding process that you have with your children and that you have with yourself is very unique. And it's unique from everyone. And so what Dwayne Wade is going through is not the same that you're going through as a parent. And so when you're a little boosy, want to impede your understanding of what parenting is on someone else, want to impress your thoughts and weigh, them and weigh them next to it. And it's not just little boosy. It's everyone who has something to say on what Dwayne Wade wants to do with his own child you come to fight you have to understand it's not the same this is a different thing this is a different understanding now yes maybe grooming works for some fine but then sometimes grooming doesn't and then what I also noticed is that they're they're questioning the sexuality of Dwayne Wade. Who cares what his sexuality is? He's married to his wife. Okay, and I think she went in a little detail of what this, you know, their sex life is about. So, what's the question of his sexuality now? And I think they got this little hint of, of, of questioning it from how he dresses. If you guys have time, please read The Art of Seduction by Robert Greene. In that book, and I think in the first two chapters, he goes on and talk about the different types of seduction. So with this different type of seduction, there are different, different types of personality and um different types of men different types of women and what their art is on on how they use to um communicate through their expression on how they attract so i think when you look at a dwayne wade you want to or you look at a prince for instance those two men are what you would consider maybe dandy and i don't know if you realize what a dandy is but a dandy is not what you consider a masculine man he's an he's more like an effeminate looking he has an effeminate looking presence but he's still a hetero straight man. So another example of that is Rick James. So like, you know the 80s look where they had the ruffles and they had the slim tight clothes and they'll maybe wear some feminine colors, but they will always be surrounded by women. So, or they will always fix, you know, have certain things done to, to make themselves more attractive. So you'll see a dandy sometimes or so, kind of like a metrosexual. Remember that was like the early 2000 thing for a metrosexual. And so you know the things that metrosexuals do. Well, first of all, they dress themselves very neat and polished. They have nice uh, polished 
um, suits. They wore foundation. They had their eyebrows done. The haircut was always nice, clean. Their fingers are manicured. And they will go out to pursuing in women. Now you have heterosexual people that are now saying because of that, that's why we have effeminate men. And I don't know. Remember last time I said they were saying that it was because there were no fathers at home. So I guess because there were no fathers at home, the metrosexual thing came into play. And then that's when um, now you have a whole bunch of gay men. I don't think that's so. I think you just have a variety of different type of men. And, you know, I think it's just very, very unfortunate that they are quickly judged by just being something that they're not. So, I think with the way that sometimes we identify each other. I think in heterosexuality... Um, just like homosexuality, there are different types of expression. So you have men that will wear loose fitting clothes. And I guess that's considered masculine for some reason. But it was something that was identified um, in the early 90s when we used to wear these baggy clothes. That was, you know, men dressing in their masculine and women embracing that masculine look but still kind of being feminine so you would consider that maybe like a tomboy look and a lot of times tomboys were even considered lesbians or potential lesbians and that's what they come kind of find out that's not true later on that that's a dressing phase and so with that you have clothes that are tight fitting which is seem to be maybe feminine or more feminine so that's men sitting in their their or getting in touch with their femininity and so then you have men that dress in across a robe so in a masculine feminine um energy to where it's looking more androgynous so you'll have the tight fitting shirt with maybe the loose but fitted pants and you'll have maybe the boots to go with it. And it's kind of like a look we were having today to wear to show the muscles off. You got men having um, more defined shirt that gets them to, to, you know, show those muscles off to the ladies. And then you have men that still dress very loose fitting. So I think again there are there are different types of expression you can have and still be considered homosexual I'm blah heterosexual and I think it's just too you're too quick to judge when you you kind of speak ahead that's why it's important to just ask have that conversation and, and just try to understand a person what they really are and not what you assume them to be um so i guess i kind of want to wrap that um up and also oh 
And also to add to that, I forgot to mention when it comes to dandy men or these androgynous men, like I said, this gives them the opportunity to pick out the best of the litter. They get the opportunity to get the best girl. That's why when when men used to talk about Gabrielle Union, man, they drooled over her. And to be honest, that were these um, these metrosexuals or um, dandies, that's what they go for. They don't want just a regular schmegler girl. They want the best looking girl. And they feel like they have those qualities to attract that. And not only that, they basically develop themselves sexually not to be a homosexual don't get it twisted but they develop themselves sexually to be better fitting for that woman so they want to be they play on the fact of wanting to be the sexual fantasy the guy that's in the romance novels the guy that's in the book and so you'll see them always checking up on their looks and, you know, doing the thing, licking their fingers, touching the eyebrows and straightening them out. And, you know, they're the ones that kind of move when they dance. They move in a certain way that basically signals off a sexual energy that attracts women. You'll see some of these men that actually kind of do that in the stripper game stripping game where they're being strippers where they get to play onto fantasy but still kind of touch into their masculinity at the same time because they know women like both sides and so it's interesting it, i think it's such an interesting thing and i think we just look at the situation with a lack of understanding so I do want to wrap up because I know I've been here long enough and this is my second chance kind of recording because I was recording and I was talking through this microphone and Audacity having the nerve to not be recording my words. <laughs> so with that being said, overall, guys, please do a mental health check on the people you love and the friends that you have. You never know what that person's going through. If you can ever take the time to just meet up with them and just have let them have the opportunity to pour their heart out to you, please try to do that with open ears and understanding because you never know this can save people's lives. This can actually save people's lives. You can actually be constructive into knowing how to solve someone's problem just by your words or leading them to someone that can solve their problems. Um, there's nothing wrong with sitting on a red couch. Um, if you know me, I always recommend that you go and seek professional help if you are having issues like this. think it's important to understand what boundaries are and understand when you're crossing them and what to do once you do cross those boundaries 
Um, when I think of boundaries, I'm thinking of trying to understand why people have boundaries, why they have walls up, why they have secrets. And if their boundaries or their morals go against your morals and you feel like you have to make a decision, I think it's important to seek help on how you can communicate how you feel morally and how you're going to go against what they are morally doing. Um, if they choose to keep what they do a secret and you, you're holding on to this secret, um, try to seek someone professionally to, 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 I guess, help you figure out a way to get through to that person, um, a way to communicate to that person that they should seek someone professionally themselves respectfully. And there are times where people are going to decline on this help and that's okay. But still keep an eye and um, let them know that you care because it's for their well-being and the well-being of others that may be around them. So I guess that's all I can think of today. Um, please, guys, practice on your understanding of loving each other and loving one another and getting to know who we are as people and how we're going to move forward in this world with all this variety in play. Um, I do love you. I want you guys to stay safe, stay happy, and be blessed. And thank you. I'll talk to you guys next time. Peace.